following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. I've been watching some of these documentaries on uh, some of the music that's come out of our country and out of LA, and specifically some of the music that came out of the 60s that formed the music for the 70s and later on. And one thing I noticed is the 60s got a little bit weird uh, because there was a lot of experimenting going on. And that might have been good for music to push the envelope a little bit, but some people were getting a little experimental uh, in their lifestyle. And unfortunately, some people got into some altering experiences, trying to experiment, some mind-altering experiences. And unfortunately, there's some that never really came back from that experience, unfortunately. But on another note, later out of the 60s came another movement, and it wasn't mind-altering experiences, it was soul-altering experiences. Experiences that altered the human soul, where we had these moments of connecting with the living God, the creator of the universe, the lover of your soul, who people encountered God, met with God, Jesus woke people up, And they had this encounter with God and their soul was forever changed. These were soul-altering experiences. In fact, the Jesus movement started in a place like that. And a whole generation of the least likely came to Jesus and everyone was blown away like, what is God doing with the subculture around us? This was not mainstream. It was subculture, people running to Jesus. So instead of wanting a mind-altering experience, people were having soul altering experiences. And today we're talking about soul altering experiences and we're going to literally look at not only how encounters with God change us, alter us, change us forever. I wanted to take it from a little different angle this morning. We're literally at the altar, at altars throughout the Bible. There's been things that have happened, encounters with God Throughout the Bible, when people would come to some sort of altar or make an altar as a place to say, God, I want to meet you, I want to know you more, God, I have this request, or you're simply worthy of this, all these different kinds of encounters that happen at the altar where altering experiences happened, soul-altering experiences happened. People were changed forever because of the stuff that happens at the altar. Perfect example Oftentimes when couples get married, they come to the altar. They come to the altar. Why do they come to the altar? I mean, they can be under an oak tree, and an oak tree could be your altar. You can meet God under an oak tree or out in a field. It doesn't have to be some stone, marble, gold-plated, bronze, anything like that. But they come symbolically because they want to meet with God and invite God into their union. They're a couple that knows we don't just want a civil union, we want a holy union. And the only thing that can make a holy union is the living God of the Bible. And so the God of the Bible comes together and says, I am going to make your union holy. And we come to the altar as couples and we have this encounter with God where he's invited into the whole promise. He's invited into the vows. And all of a sudden, what God puts together, isn't that what the word says? God puts together, let no man take apart. God makes a holy union People change and have a soul-altering experience at the altar. There's many of them. At the altar, sometimes people come forward, rededications, symbolically coming forward to the altar, symbolically speaking. 
as rededicating their life to God or coming forward for some healing that they need where God meets them in this place, this symbolic place of coming forward and saying, God, I believe you, I need you, I want to meet with you, and God touches them and heals or renews or restores. These are all symbolic areas of, of altars. And so uh, an altar is defined um, as a place of sacrifice when offerings are made. It's a place of sacrifice or offering. It's a place where you and I come to God and we simply do business with God. We simply get real, we get transparent, and we literally transact with the living God of the universe. God who is spirit is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit and he's looking for worshipers who worship in spirit. So symbolically, you and I come before an altar and we symbolically, we, we spiritually, excuse me, transact with God and meet with God. And through the Bible, there are all kinds of altars that come up. And I want to look at some of the legitimate, tangible ones that came up. And we're going to be skipping around, but we have them for the screen up here. We're going to look at all these soul altering experiences. But I want to stress to you, An altar does not need to be some stone thing you've set up or some kind of marble rock kind of thing or some gold-plated thing that you you might have in your mind when you think of an altar. Uh, There are some people, I think of some cultures, who they'll put a statue and fruit as their altar. The difference is that fruit is never consumed, nor can it be. But the God we serve can consume your offering. Do you you know that, family? The God we serve can consume your offering offering at the altar because the God of the Bible is the living God and there's all these transactions that have happened with God in the Bible at these altars. Uh, We just finished as a church this uh, 24-hour prayer and fasting Uh, and I want to say thank you for all of you who participated in that. Yes, yes, thank you. Uh, I know some of you didn't come and stayed at home, but I'll tell you, it was around the clock, and there were times that, you know, the wee hours of the night and the morning where, you know, three, four, five, six, seven people are showing up in this uh, coffee house over here, crying out to God, believing and trusting. We made an altar of prayer, so to speak. We didn't build any kind of monument. We didn't stack up stones. We didn't do anything like that because an altar doesn't need to look like that. But we got together and we said, we're transacting with God. We're going to get together in unity in one accord and we are going to cry out. We're going to make our prayers, petitions, requests known. And in that time, God met with us. There were things that God spoke. There was prophecy. There were words of wisdom. There was revelation that happens and it should not surprise you because anytime there's an altar, this stuff just happens. It's just normal in the Bible. It's normal in the Bible. And it can be normal in your life. These altars should be soul-altering experiences when we meet with the living God. They're all through, all through the Bible. Um, in the movie that hopefully you guys are going to see this weekend that we showed in the brief announcement earlier, The War Room, The War Room is quite simply about a woman who builds an altar and she changes so many things. God changes things, but she transacts with God for the change, whereas others don't. She gets it. She sees the opportunity in the altar. No one else does. She does. She realizes, I'm going to make this altar in a closet. And she doesn't build anything. Nothing religious here. No molten images, none of that kind of stuff. No the perfect stones. None of that stuff. Just a place to transact with the living God. 
in an intentional way. And her life has changed and there's stuff changing all around her. Why? Because she transacts with God and has sacrificed, so to speak, in this place that you would consider an altar. So I want you to think, when you think of an altar, don't think of a place, a statue, a kneeler, and all these other kind of things that you think of. In the Bible, there were some symbolically like that, but we're going to be looking at some over this week and next week of these altering experiences that happen when you and I transact with with the living God. Uh, The first one, if you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 4. Um, if you don't have it on your device or your uh, phone or your, there's a Bible around you or it's up here on the screen, but I'm going to um, skim over the surface of some of these really cool snapshots in the Bible where we see these Bible, uh, excuse me, we see these altars and these experiences that happen at the altar and it helps us get a really cool insight as to what God does or what God can do or what God will do if we will understand the magnitude of having an altering experience with God, a soul-altering experience at the altars of God, so to speak. So uh, Genesis chapter 4, I want to just verse 3 through 5, the first altar we see in the Bible, uh, the first one that comes up is with Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, you guys know the story. Uh, There's many of them in the Bible. This is the first one. And anytime you see the first one, you take note on what is new and what is fresh and what is God doing. And so the first one we see, Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to God. Again, this is a place of offering. That's what altars are. But Abel brought the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain his, and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Again, anytime you see the first, uh, in fact, if anybody who studies the word and uh, correctly divides the word, you look at some tools that we, we are given to properly Uh, divide the word and understand its proper context. And there's a term that you should know. It's called the law of first use. Can you say that? The law of first use. It's the first time it comes up. In the Bible, when something comes up the first time, you take note. And the law of first use tells us that when you see it come up, you take note of that usage because that usage will have a significant weight on future uses of that word. Does that make sense? When you see prayer come up, you see how it comes up, and then the story might build, but you can't start a story on prayer and exempt the very first time it's used. It's it's a foolish way to build our theology, our understanding of any topic or any kind of doctrine. So the first use right here that we see of an offering is showing us some pretty cool insights to what happens at this particular transaction uh, with God. And so... It shows us that Abel comes to this altar where there's a place of offering, place of sacrifice. It doesn't say how he built it. It doesn't say what it's made out of. We simply know he was able to put an offering on it for God and they would light them up. We know that historically they'd burn the offering. They'd light it up as a fragrant aroma to the living God. It's a place of sacrifice, uh, a place of offering. It's a transaction with God. And Abel He brought the firstborn of his flock. Firstborn, it says that because it's significant. He brought what was first. That's what he did. And he also brought the best. He brought the first and he brought the best. It's called first fruits. And the Bible uses this term later on. We see this many other times. The first fruits 
is this place of offering to God, transaction with God on this altar that we see continue to build a, a story in the Bible when we transact with God of first fruits and God's favor, God's favor is upon this transaction. That's what's important to note about this particular passage in the book of Genesis. And it is elaborated more when we see that Cain's sacrifice, it was not firstborn of anything and it wasn't the best portions. Cain took something that he just pulled out of the ground. Offering time, how about this? I'll throw some potatoes on there. We good? No, how about some broccoli? We good now, God? Done? We're good? Everything good? Once more. Got some tomatoes. Throw them on, on the fire. Is it all good? And this is what's going on. And Abel, on the other hand, is like, I'm giving the firstborn of, these, of this, trusting that God's going to bring more. And he brings his first fruit before God. And he brings the best. He didn't bring the blemished ones. Now, I want to tell you something about this. There was no law right here. There is no law. The law didn't come for 2,500 years later. The law is coming way later. The, the law is coming with Moses. There is no law. And yet we see this thing with God, the first altar experience. It's a transaction with God, and it has to do with a sacrifice. It has to do with an altar. And it has to do with, listen, God's favor upon those who make the sacrifice. You can't look at this story and miss that. This first... Uh, use that we see in the Bible of a transaction with God and is a first fruits offering with God at an altar where God either looks with favor or not favor because he sees through the whole offering and he sees the heart. So if you're a note taker, we're, we're looking at some really cool stuff today about these transactions with God. I encourage you to write some of these down. You can work through them a little bit more later. But this is what an altar does. If you're going to have a soul altering experience, Know this about the altar. The altar is a place where God meets, God sees our heart, our motives, and our blessability. That's what happens at the altar. God sees, when we come to this altar, transacting with the living God, as evidenced by Cain and Abel, God sees our heart, our motives, and our blessability, whether it's blessable or not. And with Cain's, he's like, Cain, wow. Um, that was like a second thought to you, obviously. He just pulled that junk out of the ground, threw it on the fire, see if it burned. Abel, I saw what you did. You went big. You took your first fruits and you brought the best. I see it all I saw while you were doing it. And that, to me, is blessable. And so from God's standpoint, we see God pouring out favor or blessability that he doesn't have to do, but he chooses to do. And so in this case, uh, the altar is a place where God sees our heart, our motives, and our blessability. If, if that topic intrigues you or you're uh, not really sure about that, I encourage you to read Malachi chapter 3. You'll learn more about what God says about this part of our transaction with him. It's not just an offering like this. Sometimes it's doing business with God, calling out, crying out, prayer. A lot of stuff happens at the altar. But the first altar we see is a transaction of sacrifice to God of offering to God and God seeing right through the heart, the motive, and the blessability based on what is done right there. Um, at the altar, there's got to be honesty and transparency. Uh, we see in Mark chapter 12, Jesus 
kind of bringing this to fulfillment right here. He is standing in the temple at the treasury, at the place where people to come to make offering. And it says Jesus and his pile, they're just standing there just watching everybody. And you're thinking, Jesus, why are you watching people, you know, put money in and do it? Because God does. <laughs> God does. God's, God watches the offering at the altar. God sees it. And Jesus, the God, the Son, God in flesh, is sitting there. And he said the same thing. He was watching and he makes a statement in, in, in Mark chapter 12 about people's motives and their heart and their blessability at the treasury, at this offering place. Isn't that interesting? So that is something we see tied through the Bible. There is a theme of God looking at hearts, motives, and blessability at the altar. That's really cool. Um, and so the next one we see, uh, Genesis 8, if you want to turn there, Genesis chapter 8. I'm just going to skim these across the service, but I love this. I had done a study on this a while back, and, and uh, I was digging in and just praying about it, and I just really felt, you know, God says, go deep with this and keep discovering uh, what goes on here, how people are changed at these altars. And so I'm really excited about this. I hope you are. Uh, the next one we see is Noah. Um, Noah is the next uh, snapshot where we see an altar. And just to get an understanding, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. He's on the ark with a bunch of smelly, stinky animals. It remained flooded, if you read the account, for 150 days. They couldn't land. It wasn't just 40 days and 40 nights. It didn't just rain the floodgates of the earth burst forth. So water from under the surface, come, it's coming from everywhere. Water is flooding from everywhere. In fact, if you read the account carefully, you will find that it says, at that time, the shorelines of the nations changed. You guys heard of continental drift? You guys understand that? This is, the Bible says that before we discovered it. How cool is that? God documents these things long before we discover them. It says the shorelines of the nations change. How can a shoreline change of an entire continent? God says it did, and it happened in this time of the flood. Really cool. But it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. For 150 days, it's still so flooded that you can't even park the boat. You can't land it. And then he lands on Mount Ararat, and the boat's like tipping up there for, you know, three months. And finally, the water recedes to the point. Two months after that, where you can finally get out of the boat. Let me ask you an honest question. If you were Moses and you were in this stinky boat with just a few friends and family, what is the first thing you would do if you got out of this boat? This is almost a year later, nine months later. What would you do? What's the first thing you would do? Some of you ladies, you might be going, I gotta get these nails done. My goodness, this is messed up. Guys, I don't know what you'd be looking for a driving range. I don't know what it is, but you'd want to get out of the boat. I mean, that's a long time to be in that boat. I don't know what you'd want to do when you've been in that boat that long, but there's something you're going to want to do. And Mo, uh, Noah had something he wanted to do too, and I think it's important to note, is Genesis 8.20. It says that Noah, right after he got out of the boat, soon as he got out of the boat, Noah built an altar to the Lord. And he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. And you're thinking, really, Noah? Is that the first thing? I mean, didn't you want to like run around the neighborhood, check it out and see what's there, explore, uh, figure out where you're going to set up camp? Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff to do, Noah. I mean, don't you want to figure out how you're going to regroup here, corral some animals, like get some shelter going, anything? No. First thing I want to do is build an altar to the Lord. You're like, wow, that's pretty amazing. And there's some insight in this. The altar is a place of priority. 
The altar is a place of priority. That's our second point this morning. It's a place where priorities are determined. It's a place where priorities are discovered. It's pri- you, you, we can say what we want or think what we want, but the altar is the evidence of our priorities. Does that make sense? Look at, look at Noah. You know him by his fruit. First things first, God gets the glory. <laughs> he delivered us. He protected. He provided. We're off this off. The first thing I'm going to do is find something to burn for the glory of God and give him thanks and praise. Really? Is that necessary? Noah would say, yes, for me it is. I want to tell you, there is no law at this point. Some people say, well, we're not under the law. You're right, neither were they. And I just want you to see how blessed they were. The blessability of God of people not under the law, and then the law, the blessability of God, and then after the law, still the blessability of God. I just want to say this because this is going on in the, uh, this overview of altars and this transaction with God and how we are changed. So the altar is a place of priority. The next one we see, if you want to flip to Genesis 12, we see the next one is Abraham. He's called Abram at this point in time. God's going to change his name to Abraham. And in Genesis 12, the setup is this. He is the very first one called into this true covenant relationship with God. This is where the family really begins uh, with intention and formation. And it says in uh, Genesis chapter 12, 12, the beginning says, verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. So Abram left. And then it moves on down to verse 6 just to get the story of how this altering experiences happen with God. Abram traveled, verse 6, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah in Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. We got this first snapshot in Abram's life where God says, look, I want you to go to this land. Abram goes to God. And in this place, God shows up and speaks. God speaks to him. And the first thing he does after hearing the voice and the direction of God, the first thing he does is build an altar to God. It's pretty amazing to me. God spoke. Abraham built. God spoke. Abraham's like, wow, God, I'm going to stop here and transact with you for a minute. I'm not just going, that was really cool, I got to go. It's like, God, you spoke to me. That was your revelation, God. That was amazing. You told me to come here. I came here. You're speaking to me. I hear your voice. The Bible says we will hear his voice. Family, the Spirit of God is the counselor. He comforts. He counsels. That means he directs. That means the Spirit of God speaks. That means God should be speaking to you. Check it with the word. But God should be speaking to you. And you gotta learn how to, we got to learn how to tune our ears to hear the voice of, of truth and have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to his, his church. In this case, Abram was listening to the voice of God. And the first thing he did in response was build an altar. We can't miss that. Thank you, God. Now I'm building an altar. So this altar is in response to God's revelation. He's basically saying, thank you for showing me. I'm going to praise you, God, when I hear from you. When I hear from you, I am going to light it up, God. When I hear from you, I am going to praise you for it. Now, listen, the very next section, move down to verse 8. So we, we know, if you're a note taker, the altar is a place associated with God's revelation. It's a place associated. God speaking, altars built. It's, it's associated. There's an association in the Bible 
with God's revelation and our altar. They're right next to each other. You can't exempt them. They're, they're, they're meeting with God, God speaking, building an altar. These, these are tied together. So the altar is a place associated with God's revelation. The very next verse says, from there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There, he built an altar to the Lord, listen, and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward Negev. So in this case, this is the second altar we see that was actually built. Uh, Literally, it's talking about the building of the altar. Um, and this is the second altar we see built. The first altar uh, was received, the word, the Bible says, the altar being built by Abram. And the second altar we see being built, literally describing the building, uh, is the first one being for Abram is, thank you, God, I've heard from you, and now I'm going to build an altar. And it just the next verse, he's in another area, and he's like, the first thing I'm going to do now, God, is build an altar now that I'm down the road here. I'm building an altar because I want to call on you, God. I want, to inc- I want to call on you. And the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. That when we come before God, again, your altar doesn't have to be out of stone or marble or any kind of weird statue or nothing. In fact, the Bible says we don't make images. We don't roll that way. We don't live that way. But spiritually, symbolically, when you have a place where you go to God and you seek his presence and you come and bring your offering, your sacrifice to God, God meets you. And this is what he did in this passage. He the first altar was, to, was hearing from God building an altar, and this altar is a place to seek God. Basically, he's saying, I will praise you when I hear from you, but if I don't, I'll praise you until I do. <clears throat> I'll praise you when I hear from you, but if I don't hear from you, I'm just going to praise you at this altar until I do, Lord. I'm just going to seek you at this altar. I'm going to come and I'm going to seek you. I'm going to cry out to you. I trust I'm going to meet with you, God. And that's what an altar is symbolic of. Um, there's a seeking at the altar and a response, but the altar is associated with God's revelation. That's what this passage tells us. God's revelation is tied to the altar experience, whether it's hearing from him, building an altar in response, or building an altar and seeking God. We can't miss that. It's connected. So the altar is a place associated with God's revelation. Uh, Genesis 13 goes on to to, uh, show us his journey a little bit more. This is really cool. From the Negev, this is 13 verse 3. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier. So he's gone all the way around, and this is later on, but he's back to where he had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now check this out. Abram built an altar and he, and he called on the name of the Lord. He did some travels and he did some things. There's some time and space, but the, the narrative says he's back in this place. He's eventually back in this place. And the first thing that he did is he went back to the place he had built an altar. This is really cool to me. He went back to the place he had built an altar. This tells us that sometimes we have to go back to the last altar we built. You and I have to go back to the last place we transacted with God. Sometimes we get a little removed. We're going about our life and busy and there's trials and ups and downs and we're navigating life in our own strength and our own control and we have not gone back to that 
place of total brutal honesty and transparency before God. And we're saying, God, here I am. I'm putting myself on the altar. I'm crying out to you, God. I am desperate to meet with you. I need your help, God. Hear my prayers, God. I need to transact with you, God. And I know you see everything, so I'm going to be brutally honest and transparent, and I'm going to lay it all out there. And sometimes it hasn't happened in a long, long time. Not the right way. And because we're sons of daughters that need to transact with God in this way, we gotta sometimes go back to the last place where we did transact with God and begin our transparency once again. Does that make sense? Come back to the place where you, where you met with God before. Um, some of you may know Martha Williamson. She wrote Touched by an Angel series on TV. It was a big success. Her testimony is exactly that. She was a child. She had this family time with God. They would go up to the cabin. They would seek God. She got way off in her life. And finally, she just sensed, I need to go up to that cabin to write because nothing I'm writing is successful and everything was, life was falling apart. But when she went back up to this old cabin that her family had, had gone to over the years, God rocked her world. And her story is, I went back to the last altar. I went back to that old altar. And God renewed a spark in me and a revelation in me. And from that experience is where she wrote, Touched by an Angel, which became a smashing hit for her and the whole TV industry of how God intervenes through his messengers. But all that to say is sometimes you and I have to go back to the last place um, that we built an altar. I know sometimes I have like altars. We we made an altar of prayer in this um, youth room, coffee house. Uh, literally nothing built. If you walked in there, you'd be like, what are you talking about, pastor? I don't see an altar here. That's right, because there's no physical altar in that room. You won't see anything. The chairs were set up. The chairs were taken down. But spiritually, we set an altar up before God. We made sacrifice and petition around the clock to him. And our sacrifice was fasting and prayer and crying out to God. And God met with us. That was an altar of prayer. There are times we need to go back to that place. One place that I love to go is the Chatsworth Mountains, and I've taken some of the guys, some of the men, we've gone up there before as, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the men's group, gone up seeking God, getting revelation, because I've met God there. I've met God on the mountain. You can meet God in your room, your bedroom, in the church pew. It doesn't have to be a place. But for me, I wanted to get alone. I've been doing it for years, going up on those rocks over there, just meeting with God, especially on the big things. And I find myself, every time I do go there, and I sense God speaking and showing me, I sense, come back to the altar. I feel the Lord saying, come back to the altar. Again, it doesn't have to be a rock. It can be Balboa Park. It can be in front of your, on your front porch at your house. It does not have to be there. It can be sitting, having a cup of coffee quietly, waiting on the Lord in the morning. I don't know where your altar is. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm just telling you, have one, family. <laughs> have an altar. <laughs> have an altar. Have an altar. Because at the altar, soul-altering experiences happen when you're transparent and honest and you transact with God. There is blessability in it. There's blessability in it. So that's what the Lord has shown me about these. And so, um, so later, later, Genesis 13, 18, and I'm going to have to not finish this today, but um, later, Abraham and Lot are, they're growing and they're flocks and herds and there's not enough room for everybody. So uh, Abraham says, hey, Lot, pick whatever area you want. He said, I want that nice green pasture over there. He's like, great, that's your area. I'll go take this, this second choice over here. And God blessed them big time for it. But it says in Genesis 13, 18, so Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he built an altar 
to the Lord. He moved to a place he's never been, if you follow the narrative of it. He's in this new place, and the first thing he does in this new place, this unknown place, this unknown territory, is build an altar to the Lord. So the, the, the fifth point is this. Worship before going into new territory. You worship before you go into new territory. You worship God. You meet with him. You commune with him. You transact with God. You, you think you're going to step into a relationship? Stop. Transact with God. Who knows you better than you know yourself? He knows what's best. Transact with the living God who has a plan for you. Transact with God. A new job? Transact with God. New school, moving to a new neighborhood, looking for an apartment house, transact with God. Have an altar experience with God. Meet with him before you go make these choices. It's really, really important. Abram's like, okay, new neighborhood, first thing. I'm gonna get my praise on. I'm gonna get my worship on. I'm gonna transact with God. I'm gonna meet with God. I'm gonna let my prayers and petitions be made known to him. With thanksgiving and praise, I'm gonna meet with God. I'm gonna bring my offering. I'm gonna say, seek me, God, know me because everything else is going to be fine from there. Abram knew that. If I just do this first in this new place, everything is going to be, be fine from there. Um, Genesis 22. This is pretty cool. Abram had a son. He waited a long time for this son. Son was Isaac. The only problem is Abram loved God a lot. But when Abram had a son, he loved the son a lot, as he should. But something seemed to be happening with his relationship with God. Like I said, please God, please God, please God, when I didn't have a son. But now that I have one, it's all about my son. And God's like, hey, Abram, what, what happened? We, we were close, me and you. It seems in the narrative there's, there's something happening here with the love of a son. And the love of a son is good and it's honorable. But there's something that happens strained, it seems, with the relationship with God, or not a priority like it used to be. And so in this case, God wants to know who's first. And this is what altars will prove. Altars will prove who is first. They prove it. It's not an idea, concept, principle. They prove who is first. They're way up the mountain, on their way up the mountain. And Isaac said to the father, Dad, that's great, we're going up, I get it. We're gonna make an offering, we're bringing the wood, but where is the sacrifice? Kind of weird, going up a hill, you don't even have a sacrifice, just got all the wood, you got the flint, you're ready to spark it and let it go, but Abram's like, wow, I don't even know what to say, except for God's gonna provide it, son. Wow, it's gotta be one of the craziest snapshots in scripture, looking at what was going on internally in a heart of, I don't even get this. I don't even get it, God. I can't understand this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And it says, Genesis 22, verse eight. Abram answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went up together. And when they had reached the place God had told them about, Abram built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. 
We know this is a foreshadow for anyone Jewish, anyone Hebrew, to see clearly the way God proves love is to send his son, his only son, who he loves so much, the concept of willing to sacrifice him should not be foreign to anyone who's Jewish because it's modeled in Father Abraham, the father of faith. It's a, it's a foreshadow of things to come. You can't look at this story and say, oh, I don't get it with Jesus. It's so clear that God so loved the world, he gave his only son. We see this in the story. But also, he says this, he, this altar here, this was to prove something. Things get proven at the altar. There's a lot of proving going on at the altar of God. And this one was, you haven't withheld from me. There's a proof of what's withheld and what's not withheld at the altar. That's what happens at the altar. And that's true for all of us. I would say for Abraham, this was the hardest altar that he ever built. Right here, was he built many. This was the hardest altar that he ever built. Why? Because it was a proving ground for what mattered most. And that's not an easy altar to build. That's not an easy altar to build. To build an altar knowing what you're about to put on it. Oh man, can I dodge this one? (laughs) Can I go around? Can we skip this lesson, God? Can we skip this altar? I don't want this altar in my life. Can we skip this one? Can we talk about other altars? Altars of blessing, altars of opportunity, altars of revelation. I want to to sign up for all those altars, God. And you're like, yeah, I got that for you too, but there's a proving ground. This is a proving altar. And, and, and we've got to go through a step here just to, to be honest and transparent on who really is first. Abram's like, wow, I guess I can't skip this one. Son, I don't know what to say, but I guess God's going to show up. And sure enough, God does because he always shows up. And God would never let him harm his son. That was never in the heart of God. But it was a proving ground. And so it says, because you have not withheld from me. So the, the next point is this, that the altar, the altar an altar is a place of consecration. It's a place of consecration, which is simply a big word to say, prove it. Is it mine or yours? That's what consecration means. Oh, no, it's yours, God. Everything's yours. Okay, prove it. Oh, I don't want to prove it. I mean, I why would I have to prove it, God? You know my heart. It's all good, right? God's like, yeah, I know your heart. Let's prove it. Why would I have to? You know, God. Oh, it's okay. I, I love you. Prove it. I don't want to prove it. Hmm. Yeah, we, we got to get past this altar because I got some other altars ahead for you and this is a key one. The Lordship of God and whether we will put him first or not put him first. And there's many in life that are intrigued with the idea of God, the principle of God, the blessings of God, all these other things of God, answered prayers of God. But they don't want to get past this altar of consecration. And this is God first at the altar. And putting what you care about the most, whatever it is, and being able to put it on the altar. You go, no, God, not that. Other things, yes, but no, not that. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know if it's your career. I don't know if it's your future. I don't know if it's your relationship. I don't know. But everyone's got something that you go, I'm cool with this stuff, but not that, God. That's, I got to draw the line right there, God. No, not that. And God's like, that's a shame because I love you so much, but I love you too much to leave you where you're at. And I've got some great things in store for you, but we got to get past this altar because if we get past this altar, this is the God first altar. If we can get past the God first altar, you're going to have an altering experience here. And I've got all kinds of other cool altars on the other side, but 
This is a proving ground. It's called consecration. It's where tests happen. It's an altar and it's a place of consecration. And on that note, I just want to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to close in prayer out of respect for time. But I I just want to pray this morning for us. Because honestly, we all have things that we would say, I will do this, but I don't know about that. I, I don't, honestly, that's a little too close to home. The Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Why? Because we're very closely associated. Maybe it's your reputation. I'll do this, God, but this, that my re- reputation's at stake here. I can't do that. Well, God says where your treasure is, your heart is also. Your treasure is your reputation. And no, I can't, I can't put that on the altar. God's like, oh, it's a shame because I got some great stuff. If, you, if you'll pass the God first test, put it on the altar. Now, the beauty is this, guys. God can do two things with it. Sometimes he consumes it and burns it, which is the risk you have to take putting something on the altar. This is the God first test. But can I tell you what he's done oftentimes? He looks at hearts and motives and he takes it and he blesses it and he gives it back to you. He gives it back to you better and more anointed than you could ever imagine before. If it's good for you, if it's part of his hope and future for you, he blesses it and hands it back to you. If not, he's like, thank you, I'm gonna bless you in a different way, but this needed to not be first anymore. Does that make sense? God blesses this test of consecration. He always blesses this test of of this proving ground. It's the hardest test that you and I may ever have. It's the hardest altar you and I will ever build. But I want to close in prayer right now and I want to ask you seriously and symbolically because this is kind of like an altar right here. We're not going to, you know, come before any kind of, you know, uh, big kneelers or anything fancy or anything with gold or embroidered or velvet and none of that kind of stuff. But symbolically, we're here not just to hear about God. We're here to transact with God. And I want to encourage you if there's an area in your life that's a struggle in any way, shape, or form of literally putting it on the altar, like God, whichever thing you want with this, I'm, I'm putting it down right here. If that's you, I want to ask you to come forward. It might be a relationship that you haven't really given God. It might be give an area of, of offering that you haven't given God. It might be reputation. It might be, I don't know, it could be a lot of different things. I know for a long time I, I struggled with God. I know you're real, but if I give you my life completely, I'm afraid of what you will do to me. That was my fear. It was the biggest lie on the planet, and I believed it. I believed it for a few years. And as God was calling me, I still rejected him for like three, four years because I was afraid that God was going to turn me into someone I didn't want to be. And that was a lie from the enemy. But I was afraid of who I was going to be. So that area, I'm like, no, I can't, I can't put my future, my reputation, I can't put that all on the altar. I'm not ready for that. And then finally, at one point, I said, here goes. I'm putting me on the altar. I'm going to go ahead and do that. I don't know where you're at this morning. An idea, a future, a plan, a relationship, finance could be a lot of different things where that thing, God's saying, be like Abraham, pass the test, it's a proving ground, put me first, trust me in this, trust me in this. I know it's, it's risk, but there's always blessability and risk, always when it's God's voice. There's always blessability and risk when you take steps of faith. But as we close in prayer, I wanna encourage you to come forward, kneel before the Lord symbolically, and just, we're going to pray, just, we're going to do some business with God, that God is going to actually transact with us on these areas of consecration that we put before him. So let's just close in worship right now, guys. If you wouldn't mind, uh, 
and we're just going to pray, and I just want to ask you to come forward. I know I have something I want to kneel about here myself, so uh, you're not alone, but this is a place, a proving ground for God. It's a proving ground that you really are first, not just generally in life as a spiritual fact, but in my life, and in these areas of my life, in these sections of my life, in the spectrum of my life, I say, God, you are first. I get what an altar is. I get that there's altering experiences for my soul at that altar that I meet with you because you're good, God. And Lord, we just come before you uh, individually and collectively, God. We come before you as a people who know that there's no life outside of God. Those who find God find life. We know it and we believe it. But Lord, there's only blessability if we get past certain altars, if we get past certain exchanges with you that are simply required in our life. We can't dodge the exchange. We can't dodge the encounter. We can't, we can't dodge the test, God. We can't dodge the altar. So we come before you, God, and these altars, Lord God, and symbolically, we just, we just get down and we say, God, you see me just like Cain and Abel. You see through everything. You see through it all. You see through motive. We're as transparent. You, 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 see every, you see parts of us we haven't even come to terms with ourselves, God. But you know, we got some struggles in some areas, God. Because although you good, you're good, we still think some of our ways are better. We think some of our ways might have a better plan B than yours. And we, we hold back from you, God, in our plan, in our future, in our, whether it's career, relationship, in, our, in, in some of the opportunities you have, but we're reluctant, God. Maybe it's our offering to you. Whatever it is, where our treasure is, our heart will be also. So God, this morning, we symbolically, we take this treasure, this thing that we've held back. We've treasured it somewhere, some, some way, some shape, some form. We've treasured it. We've kept it off the altar. We said everything but not this, God. And maybe it's us. Maybe it's our own life. But right now we come and we place it on the altar. The altar of the king the altar of the king of all kings, the altar of the Lord of all lords. We say we are putting these things in our life or maybe it's our life itself and we're putting it on the altar of God because we know God. You will burn up and take away what needs to be taken away, what's pleasing to you that makes you smile, that will bless us even more or or you're gonna bless something and hand it back to us better than it's ever been. And God, either one of them will be fine. Abram knew that if you happen to take his son, he trusted that you would resurrect him again. Whatever you wanted to do, you can do. So God, we come before you symbolically and we say, take these things, mighty God. Take them from us now. We put them on the altar. We give you these areas, these treasures of our life. We give you these things that we've coveted, that we've desired, that we've held on to, that we've held back, that we've whatever, and we put them on the altar and we say, take them, King Jesus. Spirit of God, have your way. Burn it up if you want to burn it. Give it back blessed if you want to do that. Either one will be fine because we're taking our hands off it. When we put it on the altar, we're not holding on to it anymore. We're right now symbolically taking our hands off of it. We place it on the altar and we remove our hands and we pull our hands back and we put our hands back at our side or in front of our face and just say, God, it's yours now. And if you want to give it back to me today, next week, next month, next year, fine. If you want to take it, it's time to, that's fine too. Whatever it is, God, we receive because you're the father of lights and you have good gifts for your children. You have good gifts for your children. Let us pass this test 
of consecration. Let us meet you at this altar. Let us be forever changed in this soul-altering experience at your altar. We ask this in Jesus' name. But guys, don't, don't get up yet. The worship team is going to continue. And right now, God is speaking to your heart. And some of you, he wants to speak and show you some things right now. So ignore the room around you. Um, for those of you who want to leave, please leave super quietly out of respect. We're doing business with God right now. I would just encourage you to stay in this place as the, as the worship team worships. They just continue. There's no hurry. There's God's meeting with you right now. There's a transaction happening, the spirit of the living God. And he wants to speak. He wants to show you. He wants to reveal things. Some of you will get a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, maybe a picture, maybe just a confirmation on what you're doing in your heart, this profound peace that you're doing the right thing. But God is going gonna, is gonna to move and continue to meet with you right now. So do not, do not rob God of this present right now. So let's just, just take as much time for God to minister to you as you need right now. Thank you in Jesus' name. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. We pray that this message has blessed you. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.